Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Our scripture reading this afternoon will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that is planteth, planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. I would rather attempt to do something great for God and fail than do nothing and succeed. If you look at the work of the church as a target with its concentric circles, the bullseye is evangelism. That's when we hit the mark. One might as well say a church majoring in evangelism as to say a doctor majoring in healing. It's just what doctors do. It's just who we are. One man said that evangelism is to the church what veins are to the body. Cut the church anywhere and it bleeds evangelism. Every program of the church, every event of the church, every person in the church should contribute some way toward the saving of souls. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Because that is the mission of the church. You have two missions or two purposes of the church. One is to show forth the praises of God. We are a worshiping institution. That's 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. And we are a light-sharing institution. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Is the uh, departing words of Jesus as He took that nail-scarred head, pointed it at the world for which He had just died, and told us to go tell them what I did so that they can come and live with me forever in heaven. Let's go to John 4. I would like to look at a, one verse of this chapter of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. We don't know her name. That's how we identify her. Jesus had about 37 such encounters while He was on the earth. But this one is very insightful when it comes to evangelism. While you're turning there, I'll remind you, or maybe tell you if you haven't heard this before, but I, I enjoy reading about men who changed the world. And Steve Jobs was such a man in our generation. Maybe you have read his biography. In that, he tells a story, or his biographer does, of his recruitment of John Scully, who became president of Apple for a time. And it was a rocky relationship uh, after, after he was recruited, but he was, Scully was 
the CEO of Pepsi. But Apple would, uh, but Steve Jobs would go to New York and he had an apartment there and he would recruit him over several months. And what finally hooked him, what finally brought him to this fledgling company that might go under was Jobs' question, John, do you want to come with me and help change the world or do you want to keep selling sugar water? If you and I are going to change the world, it will be through evangelism. If we are going to help populate heaven, it will be because we intended to do that. If we don't, in, if we don't intend to evangelize, we won't get around to it. If, we, if it's not who we are, we won't stick with it. But oh, the joy. And if, if my mind is with me at the end of this lesson, we will look at the joy of evangelism as we close our series. John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. So there is this woman that comes out evidently in the heat of the day, maybe because she didn't want to deal with the other people. In the city, she had been married several times, living with a man that she wasn't married to. So maybe there was a little bit of a look down their noses at her. But there Jesus is on the well. His disciples have gone into the city to buy food. And he engages her in a conversation. He breaks down three barriers to do that. One was the Gentile Jew barrier. Typically, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. But he talked to her. Normally, men didn't talk to women, but Jesus talked to her. And there was the barrier of of a different religion. The Jews had a superior religion to the Samaritans' abbreviated religion. They had part of Judaism, but they had left out a lot of it and added some things to it. But Jesus engaged her in conversation anyway. She was surprised. How talkest thou with me? Seeing I'm a Samaritan. Well, Jesus proves to him, proves to her, gives him his bona fides, convinces her that he is the Messiah to come. We said all that to get to verse 28. The Bible says, and she left her water pot and went into the city and told told them, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. She left her water pot. Have you ever thought of that? She had a to-do list that day that had a water pot on it. Maybe she had already filled the water pot and left it sitting filled, or maybe it was yet to be filled, but she needed that water in her house to cook with, to drink, to clean with. That was a daily task for her. But she put aside her daily task and she went about doing something that she had not anticipated doing that she judged now to be more valuable to her. And perhaps if we're going to make a difference in the world, it's going to to require putting down a water pot. Not bad in itself, necessary, a task. Sometime it has to get done, but Put down the water pot for something more important in the moment or on the schedule or in the week. We are looking at three ideas today. The fields are wide in the harvest, even in a secular environment. We're going to continue the lesson we began in our worship hour this morning. Four questions. 
four questions to determine my part in the program of evangelism in my congregation. First question, how involved am I willing to get? Second question, what am I willing to risk? Third question, what am I willing to sacrifice? The others we had a tick list where we went down levels or five different applications, but this is not going to be like that. This is have, this is just going to have one idea. But we're going to, we're going to reason from the greater to the lesser. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore with the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. Logikos. It makes sense. He died for me, I live for him. That, that makes sense. Now in the Old Testament, they had sacrifices, but there were animal sacrifices. So they had different kinds, but one of them was a whole burnt offering where an animal died and was burned on an altar as a sacrifice to God. That animal died. It never did anybody any service beyond. They didn't even get to eat the, the flesh of the animal. Some of the sacrifices they did, but not the whole burnt offering. So it was, it was done for. It was finished. There was no more benefit of it. That's not the kind of sacrifice he asked us to make. At least not initially. It's a living sacrifice. So which one's more valuable? A Christian who's died and is buried or a servant that goes about doing good for the rest of his life? Obviously, in most instances, I mean, there is good to be done in a martyr's death and it may inspire others and it may, it, it may give to the, the glory to God that he deserves. But perhaps a servant working every day, being a tool in the master's toolbox, is more valuable. Now, that's me. So if I put my body on the altar, if I'm all in, then God has everything. In the old days when they were baptizing after a tent meeting in a, in a creek, a man waded out in it and he, he said, oh, I forgot. And he took his wallet out to try to hand it back to somebody on the bank and the preacher said, no, go ahead and... Well, that needs baptizing too. (laughs) Well, we understand the point that he made. Every part of us belongs to God. Now, I'm just going to make one application from this. If I belong to God, then my time belongs to God. Benjamin Franklin said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that's the stuff Life is made of. Psalm 90, 10 to 12, teach us the number of our days. We may give our hearts into wisdom. Number our days. If you live an average lifespan, you will live about 29,000 days. You can multiply your age times 365 and subtract that from 29,000, and that's how many we got left. I don't advise you to do that right now because it could be discouraging to us. 
But you know, Paul wasn't converted until he was probably close to 40. Possibly eight years after the cross. It's about the same age as Jesus. But he did more. In that brief half-life, probably third, because he probably died in his 60s, than most people do in their whole life. Because he started sprinting for the finish line and he never slowed down. Traveled 12,000 miles for the gospel. Three continents, scores of congregations, thousands of baptisms, wrote more chapters of the New Testament than any other and second only in content of the New Testament to Luke. So what am I willing to sacrifice? It comes down to how much of my time I'm willing to give. It's all I got to give. Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Time management books often will quote use this quote, nobody ever wished he had spent more time at the office on his deathbed. Right? And when we're on a deathbed, when our 29,000 days are up, many of the things that we pursue with uh, abandon, with diligence, won't matter so much to us. But the people that gather around that bed, our family, that we've influenced for good. Children that we've taught, grandchildren we've taught. Those that we have brought to the Lord who wanted to see us one more time. They will matter. That's what life's about. What am I willing to sacrifice? So let's break it down practically. I'm not suggesting every person needs to do all of these. But somebody says, well, just give me some ideas. Give me something to work with. All right, let's do, let's do that. Let's go from annual to daily. Annual to daily. You say, preacher, I'm all in. I want to be evangelistic. I already am, but I'm, I'm ready to do more. Show me how. Okay. We will look at this both from the individual and the church perspective. Annually. Possibilities might not work for you, but might. Annually make a mission trip somewhere, once a year. Be willing to fund it yourself if necessary to go. Quarterly, aim to baptize someone into Christ every quarter. Monthly, have Bible studies with a different person every month. Like you could get through most Bible studies are three, three to five lessons. So if you do one a week, that gets you through it about one in a month, a pace of once, once a month. Now that pace may produce more than one a quarter, once a quarter, one baptism a quarter, but there's a, a worthy goal. Weekly, invite somebody to sit with you on the pews every week. Come hear the gospel. Come hear the sermon. Come, come with me Sunday. Daily, grow in Christ every day. Grow in knowledge, resistance to temptation, love, fruit of the Spirit, virtues, 
Grow, try to grow every day. So in reverse order, that's day, week, month, quarter, annual. Let's talk about the church. Annually celebrate your baptisms. I have a student right now that's about to graduate go to a church that's growing. I haven't, ever, I haven't been there, but I think they're pushing 200 now. I said, uh, how, how many baptisms are, are you having? Now, he's going there. He's not a part of it. I mean, he goes and preaches like once a month now. He said they've had two in four years. I almost fell on the floor. A church can have two in a week. You know, sometimes a day. In four years. So we talked about how that is going to be his goal when he gets there. To change that. That culture's... They're growing because people are leaving other congregations and coming there because other congregations are leaving the truth and that church is out. And that's good. But it's not enough. Quarterly for churches have one all-church event dedicated to evangelism. Family Friend Day, Vacation Bible School. So all, all church, if everybody's involved in it. Monthly, an event that targets a particular area. A youth day, a college day, a widow and widower's day, a men's day, ladies' day. Something every month that targets a segment of the church that gives that segment an opportunity to introduce friends to the gospel. Weekly, talk about evangelism. Daily, pray about evangelism. From the top down, from elders to new new converts. That's how to give God time. Now, let me give you one other thing we'll move on. Two, two, two illustrations when we move on. One is, um, how about choosing a night of the week to give to evangelism? I remember when David Shannon preached at uh, Gadsden, which is just down the road from Jacksonville. We visited together. David's always been an evangelistic person. And it was his practice for Tuesday night to be Bible study night every week. He would have other Bible studies during the day and sometimes at night, but he he said, I give God Tuesday nights study the Bible with somebody. Is there anybody in here that could do that? Maybe it's Friday night. Some night, I give God. And I remember sitting in sitting with Jerry Jerry Jenkins in Roebuck Parkway years ago. PTP went there to a field trip in the early years, and at that time he had been at Roebuck Parkway for twenty nine years, and they had averaged baptizing one person a week for twenty nine years. The church was about six hundred members at that point. And Jerry uh, lectured to us preachers. Of course, we asked him, how how do you do that? 
among the other things he said, I, I, could, do, I could do some a good bit of his lesson, but I'm just going to tell you one thing he said. He said, I'm an introverted person. It's hard for me to talk to people. But I'll do things for Jesus I won't do for anybody else. That was uh, about 25 years ago he said that. And I still tear up when I say it. Fourth question. How much am I willing to care? You know, you can begin with your punchline or you can end with it. We're ending with it here because it really comes down to this. How much am I willing to care? Because you can talk methods. You can punch the emotional buttons, inspire guilt or joy or some. It won't last. It might start me down a path that will become a habit. That's, that's a good thing. But it really comes down to L-O-V-E, as all things in Christianity do. How much am I willing to care? Let me just tick down four levels on this. See where we are. Each does a self-examination on this. But number one, the concern level. Some attitudes in hell that ought to be in the church is a sermon title I saw one time. I thought, Well, that's a sermon I want to hear right there. But it was from Luke 16. And it was about the rich man, you know, and he, Lazarus at his gate. You know that story. But he ended up being in hell and he said, "Uh, send Lazarus over here with some water. No, he can't come. Well, send him back to earth. Why do you want him to go back to earth? Because I have five brothers. And I don't want them to come to this awful place. So tell him to go talk to my brothers. Well, there's an attitude in hell that needs to be in the church. He was concerned about his brothers going to hell. That's Luke 16, 28, 29. Concern level. Does it really bother me that people are going to be lost? Does that bother me as much as my football team lost Saturday? Or my basketball team lost Friday night. Or does it bother me as much as the stock market went down and I lost a bunch of money last year? Does it bother me as much as somebody scratched my car? Does it bother me as much as... Things that don't matter. Concern level. Second level is tears. I love John 11, where Jesus was received a message from his the Mary Martha's friends saying, "Lazarus." No, they didn't say Lazarus. They said, "He whom thou lovest is sick." In other words, come quick. Lazarus is, and he was bad sick, and he died. Jesus laid for two days, and he died. In the meantime, and he got there, and he'd been dead for three days. He had been buried for three days. Shortest verse of the English Bible, of course, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. 
And you, everybody knew that, but do you remember what they said about those tears? Behold how He loved him. When they saw Jesus' tears, they equated that with love. He loved him. He's crying. What about my tears? What do they say about me? In other words, is my concern for the lost emotional to me? That's what tears are. Liquefied emotion. And Jesus cried three times, you know. Uh, Luke 19, 41, he cried over Jerusalem. I, will, I tried to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He's crying over lost people. He cried tears of sympathy in John 11. He, try, he, tried, uh, he cried tears of suffering in the, in the garden. Hebrews 5, 7. And the third level, effort. The effort level. Do you remember Mark 2 and the four, the four friends with the guy who had the palsy? He couldn't walk. So they bring him to where Jesus is. He's in a house. And there were so many people there, they couldn't get in. The door was packed. The house was packed. Couldn't get in. So... They told him, well, look, we'll have to come back later because he's busy right now. We can't get in anyway. And now, if you've read Mark 2, you say, that's not what it says, preacher. You know what it says? Well, it doesn't say this part, but this is the part I, I imagine. Read the Bible visually. Put yourself in the moment. So they're, they're a little frustrated, you know. They got their, their I guess each one of them's got a co- corner of the bed, you know, or the, the rug he's on, the Maybe the stretcher, whatever it is. And they're like, Ugh. all these people here. Man, they can't get in. And one of them, you know, I wonder, I wonder if we were up on the roof. What if the, come on, we're going to do it. <laughs> So somehow they get him up on the roof. And Jesus is preaching below, you know. And they start breaking apart, taking the tiles off. Now, I can imagine the dust started coming down. You know, people are like, ugh. What's all that noise? And then there's a little sunlight that comes in the hole. And then they keep breaking it apart. And then, hey, there's some, who are those guys? And then the next thing they see is the bottom of the bed. And they're lowering him down. And Jesus is watching. And then they say, would you heal him for us? <laughs> he can't walk. And the Bible says, seeing their faith, you know, sometimes the fake healers say, you didn't have enough faith, you know, to be healed. Well, it didn't say anything about his faith in that case. Maybe he had faith, but it says Jesus saw their faith and he healed him. Okay, I, read, I said all that. That's Mark 2.4. But I said all that to say, those friends are us. And the person on the stretcher is a lost person that we love. How can we get into Jesus? 
What can I do? There's got to be a way. I had a Bible study one time with a man who was past 80 years old. His uh, granddaughter and her husband uh, were members of the church. He grew up in a denominational home. His dad was a denominational preacher. We did OBS, but this man couldn't read. He, he was illiterate. So I went to their house, but he also was getting to the stage of life where it didn't seem like his mind was, it was coming and going. So we went through OBS, and I'm a little ashamed to say this, but I gave up. I thought we, we're not going to be able to convert him. He lived with his granddaughter and her husband, their, their kids. A few weeks later, his granddaughter called. I'm not going to tell you his name, but let's just say it was Billy. We just call him Granddaddy. Granddaddy's ready to be baptized. What? Yeah, we've been talking, and he's ready. And you know, he was baptized. And he lived for a good while after that. He was a faithful member of the church when he died. You know why? It wasn't because of the preacher, because the preacher gave up. It was because his granddaughter loved him and would not give up that he'll be in heaven. Who is there in my circle that I love that I'm going to love into heaven? I'm just not going to quit until either they die or they die to sin. How much am I willing to care? The fourth level is what I call the ultimate level. I've, I've never reached it. But it's Romans 9.3. I don't know if I ever will. I don't know if anybody in here has ever reached it. But it's, it's the Paul level. I, I've never asked anybody else if they've if they're there. But let me read it to you. Romans 9.3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. If I'm understanding that verse correctly, it's not a possibility, obviously, but Paul seems to be saying, if I could save the Jews, I would forfeit my salvation for the Jews to have salvation. I'm not there. But boy, isn't that the ultimate evangelist heart? How much am I willing to care? All right. <clears throat> That's where we wanted to get in the first lesson. So we finished it. And now I'm just going to be able to take off the points of the third lesson, but that's okay. We've covered a lot of it. But our theme today is, the fields are wide into harvest, even in a secular environment. Point number one, let's bring back amateur hour. We all need to contribute. We all can. It's not for the professionals or the elite. Number two, fish in a bigger pond. Everyone made in the image of God is a potential Christian. Point number three. 
Hunt as a pack. Hunt as a pack. Lions, hyenas, and African wild dogs are famous for hunting as a pack. African wild dogs, for instance, have have an 85% success rate in hunting as a pack. A lioness hunting with another lion or lioness has a 35% kill rate. A single lioness has an 18% kill rate. Now I know those are negative connotations and I'm going to try to remove that aspect of it at this point. But what I want us to see is cooperation, not result. Cooperation. So is the church better off if we lone wolf our evangelism or if we work together in evangelism? That's what I mean by hunt is a pack. Now, just tick off the points. Point number one, how is the church going to grow in this generation? Get your hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. You know what I'm seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing this in the preachers, especially the travel. Churches that are growing right now are churches that are getting their hands dirty. I got friends that go into women's abuse shelters and help. I've got you 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 have this too. Orphans, drug programs, alcoholic program you know, there's a lot of things that people are struggling with. Now the purpose is not social gospel, it's not just to fix a temporary need, it's it's to win someone's trust, to show that, well, what did Jesus do? He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he accepted the outcast, and then he taught them the gospel. Um I got to work three years with Rob Whitaker at Jacksonville for finishing that work and moving to teaching. One thing I learned a lot from Rob, but one thing I learned is you got to earn the right for a Bible study. You can't just expect people the first time they meet you to say, yes, I'll sit down and study the Bible with you. But if they know that you love them, if you're involved in their lives, it opens up a door through which the gospel may enter. So get your hands dirty. What was it Jesus did in John 13? I don't know how the disciples were arranged, but there was 12 of them. There's 24 feet, like this kind of foot, right? Dirty men's feet. And uh, again, I picture them lined up. That's why I pointed that, you know, like 12 in a row. I don't know if that's the way they were, but... And they're like, corner of their eye. I'm not doing it. No, let's get, get Nathaniel to do it. He'll do it. I'm not doing it. It's Peter's turn. No, no, it's not my turn. Jesus comes in, takes off his robe, girds himself, takes a basin of water, towel, and he takes their dirty feet and washes them. 
And they didn't want to do it. He gets to Peter and said, Peter said, no, you can't wash my feet, Lord. Typically Peter, isn't it? And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He said, this is also typically Peter. But not just my feet, but my hands and my head. I'm all in, Lord. Wash me all over. And Jesus stood up and He said, do you know what I did? Well, yeah, you washed our... No, 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 I don't mean that. You know what I did? I set an example for you. Go and do it. He's not saying we need to have a foot washing service when everybody comes in with their clean feet and their toenails painted and all that for a ceremony. It's not about that. It's about doing things nobody else wants to do because you want, you want to serve. And servants open doors for churches to grow. That's number one. Get your hands dirty. Number two, bone up on apologetics. It's not your granddaddy's world out there, is it? Somebody in every congregation needs to be able to answer the hard questions. I've been in some of these conversations. Ill-prepared. I dare say other, others of us who preach aren't ready to answer all the questions that come from some intellectuals who've been reading some books and watching some videos and digesting some blogs about anti-God views, why, God, why the Bible can't be true. Well, I, we can have that discussion. And you, the kids just learn four reasons, you know. But somebody that really knows how to answer hard questions, bone up on apologetics, that's our world. Is that you? You say, I've always been interested in that. Okay. But read all the books. Digest it. Find the Scriptures. There are answers in the Bible to every question. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an answer. There is a defense for every uh, expression of unbelief. But bone up on apologetics, that's our world. Especially 40 and under. And more especially 20 and under. Number three, and this is just the last thing. Help. Help each other win friends. When somebody is bringing, is beginning a study, this requires two things. One, it requires communication. Some churches announce it. Some don't. You live stream, depending on who's in the audience, it might be counterproductive, might not be healthy, might be embarrassing to someone. But other churches that they'll announce, I'm beginning a Bible study with my friend Boyd, and we're going to be studying Thursday night. Everybody be praying about that. That's wonderful. If you don't, not necessarily announce it, but you let your friends know. Maybe it's a Facebook group, maybe it's an email chain, whatever it is. And then, my friend Sarah's coming Sunday. She told me she's coming. She's coming Sunday. Everybody need her. And you better be on your good behavior, you know. Now, be sure to, to show her the love of Christ this Sunday. It's her first time. I talked to a man this morning preaches in Kentucky, and I'll end with this. But He, he said, we, they sent out house to house, and this lady got house to house. And she called church. She said, I've been reading this for a while and I really like what it says. I just moved here from Brooklyn, New York to Kentucky and 
uh, I'm wanting to come visit. I've never been to a Christian church before. She said, I'm a Roman Catholic, but I'll, I've never been to a Christian church, but I, I want to come. I said, well, come on. We'd love to have you. She came. Anyway, long story short, she was uh, converted, and she said every service, every week, and had uh, had the preacher over. No, he's an elder. Had an elder over for this week for uh, supper and his wife. Anyway, isn't that wonderful? Somebody just came, but he, he said, we knew she was coming, so we rolled out the red carpet. <laughs> you know? We just love people. This church just loves people. Well, that's the kind of church we want to be. Support each other in evangelism. Well, the Lord's invitation is always open. It's not just at the end of sermons. But this sure is a good time to make a decision while we're already all here together, while we've been talking about the Bible, while you may have been reconsidering your life choices. You say, I want to be a Christian. This is the most exciting thing. I want, I'm going to drop the sugar water and I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Well, that begins with a decision to leave the world and come to Christ. You could be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins this afternoon. You don't have to wait. If you understand what is required and you're ready to confess faith in Jesus, turn from sin, you can be baptized today. That's Acts 8, 35 to 40. If you haven't been faithful as a Christian, you say, I regret it. Messed up. But I'm not going to mess up again by staying in my sins. I'm coming home. And there aren't enough demons in hell to keep me from doing what I know I need to do right now. And God will help you. We'll pray with you. I don't know what a righteous man would be called on to lead a fervent prayer for you, but it will happen. That's what the Bible says to do. James 5.16. If that is something that you desire... Let us know. We'll take care of it before we have the amen for this service. Will you come? We'll stand while we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to WBS at westhuntsville.org.